Beyond TV would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of all the lands from which our listeners join us. The Beyond DV team are privileged to live and work in Mianjin on Turrbal and Yugara country. We pay our deepest respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and to all elders. We also pay our respects to all First Nations women and children who have been impacted by domestic and family violence. Welcome to Stories Beyond DV. My name is Carolyn Robinson and I am the founder and managing director of Beyond DV. Beyond DV is an organisation that supports women and children as they rebuild their lives from domestic and family violence. During this podcast series, we will be speaking with six incredible survivor advocates, each with their own story of recovery. In each episode, we'll be calling on an expert to give us some information about each topic we cover. In this episode, we'll be discussing the topic of recovering from homelessness. We have an incredible survivor advocate joining us to talk about her journey leaving an abusive relationship faced with homelessness and rebuilding her life once more. I'd like to welcome Sarah, our survivor advocate, with Margot Parker, who will be speaking with Sarah today. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, Margot. I'm so pleased to be here. Now your life is uh, very successful. You're a high-achieving professional. You're doing incredible work in the space of family and domestic violence. But you have a history and a past with domestic violence that we really want to highlight the positivity that can come out of that afterwards. You left an abusive relationship several years ago and as a result you became homeless. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah. Hi. Thank you, Margot. So, Uh, And thanks for that introduction as well. So I guess I'd really like to start by explaining that my experience started after separation. So my financial situation changed practically overnight from being in a shared situation with two income earners that provided all of the household expenses to just myself and my income overnight, which had a dramatic income on my living situation. I was able to maintain my rent, but after about seven months, I got behind on my water bill and when it came time to renewing my tenancy, I was told that I wouldn't be able to live on in that rental property anymore. This rental property had been my home and my children's home for five years, so even though it was a rental, they still considered this their home, so it was really challenging to not only leave that home, but to also find out that no one would rent to a single mum. I tried to implore the rental agency and the owner that I would actually be exiting into homelessness. And this was right on the cusp of our first COVID lockdown. Mm. So it was a really scary time for me and my children. They, they did not extend. And after months of trying to secure another accommodation and literally having no other option, I was forced to move in with another another mum. Uh, she was a good friend of mine, but her house wasn't big enough. So what that ended up looking like was me living in a rumpus room with my three children. So that rumpus room uh, was a large room, quite a large room, 
But that room was my bedroom. It was my two younger daughters' bedroom. It was our living room. It was their study. It was their play space. My kitchen was a fold-up table with a microwave and a kettle on top. So that's how I prepared meals for my children each day. That's how I made their lunches. Mm. And my 16-year-old did year 11 studies in a dark room, which was effectively the garage, uh, surrounded by curtains, which were makeshift to give her a sense of privacy. The roller door of the garage was one of the walls to her bedroom. Uh, We washed our dishes in a laundry sink. And we lived in this situation for about eight months. And moving into this situation, I felt like I had failed as a mother but also as a professional working woman, because going to work each day and not being able to tell my colleagues at work that I was living in a rumpus room, that I shared a bedroom with all of my children, you know, there was a lot of shame in that. But there was a lot of survival and a lot of joy that came out of that situation as well. So I'm really excited to not only talk earnestly about how hard that was, but also talk about what that meant to have that time to recover and what the change has been from then to now. You talked about the shame, um, the not being able to ask, you know, for, for more help or talk about it with your colleagues. What did that feel like for you, not being able to feel like you could reach out or provide on a, at a certain level for your children? That must have been devastating. Yeah, initially it was devastating, there was a lot of shame and I I hid that experience from a lot of people in my life. So not many people knew uh, that I was in that situation. Mm. But finding um, Beyond DV and finding other services like this that could support me, I actually found meeting with other women that who had experienced the same situation as me actually incredibly empowering. Um, my background is community development. I've got a behavioural science background. Mm. I know about the peer support model, but actually experiencing that firsthand was incredibly powerful. I really was overwhelmed by each week sharing a room with other women who had experienced a resemblance of what I had. And through that meeting and through uh, catching up with the women who had also experienced domestic and family violence, I started to realise that there was strength and power in not just acknowledging that I was a survivor, but also asking for help. So it actually became an incredible stepping stone to putting my hand up and saying, actually, I'm struggling, I really need some help. And the amazing thing is, is that so many people offered their support, so many people reached out, And so many women in my life also reached out and said, you know what, I'm also a victim or Mm. I know someone who is a victim. So I found that to be almost this empowering but also educational experience for me and a lot of the other women that I know in my life as well. I can't imagine that at any point going into your separation you would have imagined homelessness as an option for you and for your children. Why do you think homelessness is so prevalent for women who are leaving domestic and family abuse? I think the main thing is accommodation issues. As we all know, we're in crisis at the moment. So even back then, so this was five years ago, you know, we were at the cusp of a housing crisis. COVID had a dramatic impact on our housing situation. And so right now, 
across the country, vacancy rates for rentals are under 1%, which is incredible. If you think about uh, women and children who are leaving domestic and family violence situations applying for rental properties, they're far less likely to get those properties in a dual income or higher income family. But that being said, there are average families right now who are priced out of the rental market. So middle income families who are on $100,000 to $200,000 a year who are sleeping in tents, sleeping in their cars and waking up every morning and taking their children to school and going to work and living a life that way. So the barriers for women, as we know, so women and children who are leaving domestic and family violence, but also older women are the two cohorts that are very uh, prevalent in homelessness. So you've got a 1% vacancy rate but you've also got the shame, like I mentioned earlier, around women actually acknowledging that they are victims and also a lack of support for women that are in that situation. We just don't have the accommodation to transition women safely from domestic and family violence households into safe safe accommodation. So effectively, mm. women aren't leaving and they're dying in that situation because there's no option for them. So what do you think could be done in this area? How can this barrier be removed so that these women can move on to healing and recovery? Well, we know, as I said, that it's women and children and ageing women that are leaving domestic and family violence. They make up a significant portion of the homelessness population. So we need to remove the barriers that allows women to safely exit their domestic and family violence and we need to provide more housing. We need to provide more flexible options and we need to think creatively about what they are. We need different strategies that come at different levels. So local council pitching in with, you know, caravan parks that are vacant or any other vacant options, uh, whether it be aged care facilities or any, any creative situation where you can securely house women and children. If I can live in a rumpus room for eight months and find happiness there and be able to maintain a life. We just need to provide women a secure home to go back to, to sleep, to eat, to play, to be able to rebuild their life. It doesn't have to be, you know, brand new three bedroom houses. We can think creatively and we can think outside the square. So you talked about that eight-month period of your life where you lived in your friend's rumpus room and you said that that was actually a really great part of your recovery. What does your life look like now after your recovery and domestic family violence? Yeah, that's a really good question and it's one that I want to focus on because I would love to go back to the version of me five years ago that was in that situation and thought that I had failed. I would love to go back to that version of me and tell me that I'll never imagine how incredible my life could be. I now have a beautiful partner that I've moved in with. We've been living together for 16 months. Uh, he has renovated his house and added a floor so that all of our children can live together. And he's the most incredible man I've ever met. He's softly spoken, he is patient, He's articulate, he's intelligent, and he's a workhorse in so many ways, but particularly in working hard to understand the impacts of domestic and family violence. And he has watched and been a part of my recovery and my journey. 
He held my hand while I dug myself out of that hole and he didn't save me. It was really important to me that I did that myself. So he's warm and empathetic and a constant love force in mine and our children's life. And that experience of having a man that is so soft and loving and that love is unconditional has changed me. And this whole experience has changed me at such a core level. I was always resilient and now I'm unstoppable. On one hand, I see the extreme pain and trauma that my children have experienced, but boy, are we stronger for it. And the lessons we learned from living in that rumpus room were if we can survive this and not just survive, but if we can thrive here and find joy, then there is nothing that we can't get through and nothing we can't achieve. So, and I now have an amazing job. Um, I'm a domestic and family violence advocate and I'm inspired to help other women and other vulnerable people. And now I wear my survivor status like a badge of honour now. So I don't shy away from it. It fuels me to do better, to do better for my children and also for my community. Sarah, you mentioned Beyond DV and that's who's brought us here together today and I'm so grateful for that because we can highlight and spread awareness around the incredible life after domestic and family violence that women who are listening who are currently experiencing that you can give hope to. Talk to me about Beyond DV, the foundation, the charity, the program and what it did for you in your experience in domestic and family violence. Beyond DV was inspirational for me and my family in ways that I could never have expected. And the way this service is so unique and so special is that it fills a gap where it's not a crisis support, it is that support that you need a little bit down the road. So when you're no longer in crisis and your friends and family and your colleagues don't understand why 12 months later you're still experiencing PTSD or you're still, you know, needing to attend counselling appointments or you are still impacted in the myriad of ways that domestic and family violence impact you, going along to a Beyond DV support service and centre, whether it be a morning tea or, or one of their hangout opportunities or one of the many programs that they offer, you share a room with other women who have been in your shoes. Maybe not the exact same situation, but the unique part of that is you don't need to tell your story. You just need to share a room with other women and you all know, you all have this knowingness about you. There's an understanding. There's an understanding. You have all been in this situation. You are all on that recovery journey together. And it's amazing with that peer support model, you share resources, you share an understanding, you develop friendships. And being in a room with other women who have experienced what you have been through is so powerful. One of the things that I still remember about the first time I walked into one of the Beyond DV uh, morning teas was one, how I felt, and two, the breadth of women in the room. So I recall walking in and thinking that I'm not victim enough. I don't look the part. And what does a victim look like? Yeah, right. So I had spent probably 15 years masking and I'd become quite good at covering my pain and covering my trauma. And I like to look good when I go out in public. I don't like to show that side of myself. So mm -hmm. going into a room with other women who'd experienced the same thing as me, I expected to see victims. And what I saw 
was a breadth of women, age range from 18 to 70. There was a girl there that had left her first domestic and family violence situation and there was a grandmother who had left a very long-standing domestic and family violence relationship with her husband. Mm. And it occurred to me that in that room were women of all walks of life, all backgrounds, all different cultures and ages, and they were all walking the same pathway to me and they all looked different, but we were all victims and it didn't matter what we looked like. And so that helped me to accept my victimhood and then eventually that victimhood and that notion of being a victim turned into being a survivor. Because I think it's really important to note that what domestic and family violence looks like has come so far. We now are more aware of coercive control, financial abuse, emotional abuse. I think we're so conditioned to thinking that domestic and family violence is just physical abuse and our oh, bruised eye, etc. And so I think that that's what we think it looks like. And if we don't see what we've been conditioned to think it looks like, then like you said, you don't look like a victim, but you still feel like a victim because you have been at the end of abuse on whatever level it is. That's so true. And I think the important thing is uh, a lot of people don't realise the abuse doesn't end when you leave. It actually continues in some form or another. And sometimes can escalate, right? Absolutely. So there are a lot of women in that situation, in that room that first time. There were different stages of the recovery, but there were certainly some women who had just left that situation. I do recall there being one beautiful, courageous woman who had been shot by her partner and had had to learn to walk again. Mm. And, you know, understanding that that had been her experience was so emotional Mm. and so empowering to see her sitting there among other women and sharing her strength and sharing her experiences. It was beautiful. It's so unexpectedly powerful that I can't appropriately give words to that, but that's where this service differs from other services. And at any point, if I needed support, I could always reach out to the CEO, Caroline here and say, hey, I need to access this service. Do you have anyone in your networks? And she would either say, I don't or I do. And she didn't fix the problem for me. And that's the other important part of a service like this. They give you the tools to get back on your feet on your own, which is really important. And it's part of the building of the resilience and the recovery and the hope. And I guess that's probably what this service gave me, the strength to hope and the power to know that I could do that and recover myself. I'd like to end on asking you what your advice would be uh, to any other women who find themselves struggling to secure stable housing after leaving an abusive relationship. Yeah, that's a really good question. And again, there are a lot of learnings for me in that experience. I think the main one is thinking creatively. You know, women are very creative. If we need to find 
housing and we need to support our children. It's incredible what we can achieve and what we can what we can do. That inner strength, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And uh, thinking outside the box and reconsidering what does secure and stable housing look like? So I had always enjoyed living in big houses with, you know, equipped with the comforts that I had considered essential. And from there, moving into a rumpus room and losing that sense of, you know, what's actually important. And it completely changed what I thought was important uh, was completely rebuilt. Mm. So my worldview has changed. It's no longer about stuff. It's no longer about the space of a house or what a house feels like or what a house looks like. It's home really needs to be where my babies are and where the people are that I love. And if it's safe and secure, then I can make that a home. And that's the advice that I give for other women. It doesn't have to be forever. I was in that situation for eight months in that rumpus room and it was enough for me to gain new employment. It was enough for me to access counselling. It was enough for me to transition into another accommodation option. But if I hadn't have thought in that creative way, not many people set out, you know, in their life wanting to live in a rumpus room. And I couldn't have ever have imagined that for myself, but it was the option and the only option that I was presented with at that time. And I will forever be grateful for that option. So looking for opportunities everywhere, ask around, prepare your children for change because things will change. But what will be constant in their life is you and routine. So create those routines for your children, that sense of safety and security in you. Don't be embarrassed to ask for help. There are a lot of services out there at the moment. There are a lot of people who are also willing to help and find your strength and power in acknowledging that you are not a victim, you are a survivor. Sarah, thank you so very much for your time today. I'm humbled and honoured to have been in your company and for you to share your story with me. And and I know that there are going to be so many women out there who will hear this and you have created inspiration and hope for them for a better life for themselves. So thank you very much. Thank you, Margot. If I could just add one more statement to those women, I promise you it gets better. I'd like to now welcome our expert, Laura Valenti. Laura is the Principal and Director of Property Management at McGrath North Lakes. She's also an REIQ Board Director and the co-founder of Safe Home Alliance, which educates real estate agents on how to recognise and respond to DV survivors and help them to find safe homes. As the principal of a real estate agency that manages hundreds of rental properties throughout the greater Brisbane area, we unfortunately see firsthand how domestic violence impacts homelessness. Often the survivor has to flee a dangerous situation without preparation or warning, so doesn't have the time or resources to secure a rental property when they most need it. Add to this the current shortage of vacant properties means that survivors have to rely heavily on crisis accommodation, which is also very scarce and comes with its own issues. I believe that as real estate agents and property managers, we can make a significant contribution in assisting domestic violence survivors to find medium to long-term accommodation quicker by stopping to understand their situation and providing easier pathways to inspecting and applying for rental properties. 
On a broader scale, I also believe that investment property owners can make a positive difference. Sadly, there is still that stigma attached to domestic violence victims that somehow they are higher risk than other tenants due to their personal circumstances. However, the statistics show otherwise. And anecdotally, I can tell you that women and children who have secured a rental property free from violence are absolutely motivated to being great tenants. Property owners who give these tenants a chance are often rewarded with peaceful and stable tenancies. I do believe that education and awareness brings domestic violence out of the shadows and allows us all to play a part in helping survivors find safe places to live. Thank you for listening to Stories Beyond DV. And thank you to our guests, our survivor advocate, Sarah, our interviewer, Margot, and our expert, Laura. On our next episode, we'll be talking about recovering from financial abuse. We hope you can tune in. If you are being impacted by domestic and family violence, or you know someone else who is, please don't hesitate to reach out for help, either by calling 000 if you are in immediate danger, or the National Domestic Violence Helpline at 1800RESPECT. You can find out more information about the programs and services we offer for victim survivors of domestic and family violence on our website, beyonddv.org.au. Please follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode and share with a friend. It really helps to spread the word. You never know who might need to hear this. Stories Beyond DV was made possible with support from the Zonta Club of Brisbane. This series was produced and sound designed by Tiffany Dimack. I'm Carolyn. Take care and I look forward to talking to you next time.